So we're still continuing our series, Empowered, uh, where we're looking at the uh, people of the Bible who God used in, in just incredible, mighty ways. And one thing I loved about this series, or love about this series, is that these people aren't perfect by any means. They, they had a lot of flaws, and they had some bumps and bruises, and they went through some difficult times. Um, but we, again, we see how God worked in and through them to further his kingdom. So this morning, we're going to take a look at Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to start out in Nehemiah chapter 1. And uh, if you need to borrow a Bible, you can find one in the pew in front of you. And, uh, and again, if you don't have a Bible, please take that home and consider that gift from us. Uh, we want every person to have access to God's Word. And so please, if you don't have a Bible, take that one. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament. And uh, if you need help finding it, uh, just wait a little bit until your neighbor finds it and steal their Bible. Um, or you could just use the table of contents. Uh, either one, they're good options. And, uh, but again, we're going to be in uh, the book of Nehemiah. And one thing I love about the, this book, it is such a vast book for a, small, for a smaller book. And there's so many different themes and elements and, and so many ways that you can preach and teach on the story and the life and the ministry of Nehemiah. See, we see Nehemiah as an incredible leader. And we see the great affections and the integrity of what it takes to be that type of leader. And so we can learn many leadership principles from him. We also see the promises, provision, and protection of God to his people throughout the entire book. And we also see a significant history of God's redemptive plan for Israel and ultimately his church. And this morning, we're going to be focused on, on the plan and vision of God. And how that was ultimately lived out by Nehemiah in his obedience to God's will. And so just for those who are taking notes, there's five quick things I want you to jot down. Because there's five necessary aspects that we will see what it takes to be obedient to God's will. And the first one is passion or brokenness. I wanted to be a good Baptist, so they all start with P. Um, but brokenness would be a good one for it. So passion or brokenness. Prayer, you have to have a plan, preparation, and people. Passion, prayer, plan, preparation, and people. These five aspects um, are necessary to be obedient to following God's will. And so I want to illustrate this in a, in a personal story, how this did not work out. Okay? Um, so some of you have heard the story about my kid's trampoline. And uh, so when we moved our house about three years ago, my kids had this, you know, the big round 15-foot trampoline. And the, area, the house that we bought didn't have enough space for it. And so I had a, a rectangle area that I went and measured, and it was from, I needed a trampoline that was 9 feet by 14 feet. So I got on Amazon and Google and searched, and I found one. The problem was the trampoline mat was 9 feet by 14 feet. And so the trampoline itself was much larger, so it meant that the trampoline was pushed up against our concrete wall, and then also one of the poles hit against the awning of our house. So every time my kids would go and jump on the trampoline, which is often, uh, this is what we'd hear. Over and over again. And uh, so I was like, okay, something has to be done about this. And then my wife was on the trampoline, jumping with them. And she, they're just jumping around, and she just takes a step back and does this, and her hand smacks the wall. And she looks at me, and she goes, Josh, we got to do something about this. And so I, you know, I look at her, I'm like, I've got you, girl. It's bad English, but it's how I flirt with her, so it's okay. And so I told her, I was like, okay, let's do this. And so it, the next day was Friday. It was my day off. I was like, all right. So I went and grabbed my shovel. I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just 
bury it down just a little bit to, you know, lower it down from the railing and pull it forward a little bit. So I started out with a shovel. I hadn't lived in Arizona that long and hadn't done much yard work. So let's say the shovel didn't last that long. And I was like, okay, plan B. I'm going to go to Home Depot. I'm going to rent a trencher. And so and now to rent any kind of equipment for me, I have a, an old 05 Equinox that has like almost 200,000 miles on it. That's not pulling anything. So I had to rent a U-Haul truck, you know, a big box truck to pull a tiny trencher. Um, when I got to the house, I just prayed to God it was still there. Um, and so we get there, and I was like, all right, I got it all set up, made my measurements, got that trencher, and it went to town. It trenched down about probably about two feet down, had all four legs ready to go, get the trampoline put back together. I go and I drop in the hole, and the trampoline's sitting about this far off the ground. And that's when I'm looking, I'm like, well, that's not going to work. And so I was like, okay, honey, we need to have a conversation. Um, this is what tomorrow's going to look like. I'm going back to Home Depot, and I'm going to rent an excavator. Oh, yeah, it, ex it escalated quickly. Um, and so we went. I rented this excavator that fit through my tiny gate. And uh, the best part is when I, you're renting this place, they always ask you, have you ever used this equipment before? And my response was, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Misty asked me, she goes, you have? I'm like, well, I sat on my dad's lap when I was a kid and rode one. Doesn't that count? And uh, he didn't ask for details. And so I got out there, and I'm, you know, playing with this thing, trying to figure it out, this thing, this huge piece of equipment in my backyard, and quickly realized I had no clue what I was doing. So I went and looked up the, you know, owner's manual online, read some instructions, got my bearings, got back out there, and that's when I started having fun. I started moving the gravel all the way, and I just started digging. And in our backyard, if you can imagine this, we have a little gate, and then it's all fenced in, and my house is right here. And so I'm digging, and as I'm digging, I'm like, where am I going to put this dirt? So I just... I'm going to put it on the sidewalk, and I'll just push it out of the way when I'm done. And so I just kept on going, and I'm, I start with the front towards the fence, and I'm digging, and I'm digging, and I get this huge hole. I'm so proud. Like, my kids came out and rode with me. Misty got on it a little bit and drove it. Like, it was just a fun day at the Hogue House Memories. And then I get done, and I'm backed up to the pool, got this big hole in front of me, and this huge mound of dirt blocking my gate. Okay, and... Uh, Misty and the kids left. I was like, good, there's no witnesses. And so I very carefully drove it over this mound of dirt, but under my awning, like I had inches. Again, praying, God, please don't let me kill myself and don't break my house. And so I get it out there, get fine. Next day I realized I didn't dig it far enough. I needed to go a little bit more. It wasn't level at all because I had no clue what I was doing driving this excavator. So I ended up hiring a company, this guy to come out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember the shovel? This was a cheap project. This was very easy. I owned the shovel. Hire this guy comes out. They dig it. And they were going to dig it all out for me, make it all level, and then they were going to remove the dirt. Well, their trailer broke, and they couldn't remove the dirt, but they dug it all out, got the trampoline in there, and it's, it's perfect. It's up there. It literally now sits this high from the level ground, but it's under it. It's completely empty. And so it's a call to bury trampoline. I make my kids jump on it about five hours a day just to pay off what we spent on this. Um, and I would love to tell you that the story's over, but it wasn't. Oh, no. Oh, no. So, again, I hire this company, and he keeps on putting me off, putting me off. And finally, he says, look, we just can't do it. It's like, wonderful. So I'm like, fine, I'm just going to do it myself. Back to Home Depot. And uh, go to Home Depot, again, rent a truck. I rent a little bobcat. And I go rent a huge dump trailer. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be smart. I'm going to get the you know, hydraulic lift trailer. 
pull the truck and the trailer in my front yard, and I just start going to town, and I start loading this stuff up, and I'm making great time. I'm so proud of myself. I'm like, this is going to be amazing. So I get done, and, you know, and only like a, maybe like a sixth of the dirt is gone in one load. Uh, but I told Mr. I'm like, hey, go run to the landfill, drop, the, drop this off, and I'll be back, and I'll just keep on doing this all day long. I go jump in the truck, pop it in gear, and nothing. doesn't move. And all of a sudden, I hear the tire start squalling a little bit under me. I'm like, what on earth is going on? I get out and look at the trailer. It has sunk in my yard down in to, like, the frame. So, again, no problem. I got a hydraulic lift trailer. Piece of cake. I'll just dump some dirt out. No problem. Hydraulic lift doesn't work. So I've got a trailer full of dirt, doesn't work, it's sunk in the front yard, I'm trying everything, I have Misty in the truck, and I'm on the Bobcat, like, trying to lift it up, we're doing everything, po like, if you work for OSHA or any kind of safety people, um, forget the story ever happened, okay? <laughs> so we continue on, and it just doesn't work, I end up having to dump all the dirt out, I take the trailer back, take the truck back, and I just remove the dirt, put it in my front yard, and finally put a sign on, or ad on Craigslist that said, please, free dirt, come take it. After two weeks of no one coming, um, I ended up hiring another company to come and take all the dirt um, from my house. Now, why do I share this very embarrassing story about myself? Because this doesn't give me any credibility of my skills of planning or doing any kind of housework. Um, I, I have an excuse. Um, I didn't plan. Had no plan, no preparation. And to be honest, I had no prayer. Very little times that I actually stop and say, God, give me the wisdom and insight that I need to complete this horrible project that I've got myself into. Not once. And as a result, I kept on failing over and over because I kept on doing it in my own strength and not relying on anybody else's help and ultimately definitely not relying on God's help in that. And we see that something completely different in Nehemiah's life. And for ministry to happen, for obedience to happen in the church, it has to look much different than my idiotic plan or lack of a plan and the trampoline. And so the book of Nehemiah, this is where we see the people, Nehemiah and his people, the people of Israel, of Jerusalem, are in, they've been exiled. So they've been removed away from their homes. They're in these they're conquering cities, and they would spread the people all out so they couldn't rise up and revolt against the nation, the people who had taken them over as slaves. And so Nehemiah is, a, is gone, and he, people come in, and he asks them, hey, can you tell me, um, tell me what's going on in Jerusalem? Like, is, did anybody survive the exile? Like, what does the city look like? And he hears and learns that the city is just broken down. The walls have been completely destroyed. The gates have been burned down. It lies in ruins. It's actually become the laughing stock of nations around it. People just mock and make fun of this great city, the city that God had established through this nation. And it absolutely crushes him. His hometown where he grew up, where his people were from, was destroyed. And he becomes broken hearted. And he comes in this brokenness, in this moment of brokenness, God does something inside of him. It's not just a, a sadness, it's just a brokenness. It turns into a holy discontent. And this is what I mean by holy discontent. Holy discontent is when you recognize that there's something's not right here. Something's got to be done about this. Um, something needs to happen. Somebody needs to step up and do that. That's the holy discontent that we have for something in our lives. And that's what Nehemiah was doing. And it was with his broken heart for the people, for the city. And it's that brokenness what ignited his passion in his heart. 
and see the proper response what I lacked when it comes to brokenness because when I was in this project, I was broken. I was frustrated. I was hurt. I was just angry. There was a brokenness in my life dealing with this pile of dirt. And the proper response is prayer. And often in that prayer, it needs to have confession. And so we see that in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 5. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel. And listen to this, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. And they are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by the great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today. Grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then it says something very interesting. It just says, now I was a cupbearer to a king. See, a cupbearer is a very important role back in this time. See, the responsibility of the cupbearer was to not only serve the king his wine and his drinks, but it was to actually take a sip of it before giving it to him to make sure that there was no poison in it. So it, it was a big deal. It was a position that ended up having a lot of influence because they built this great relationship, this trust with the king and the royal family. Now, Nehemiah is working with a pagan king, a king that has no desire, had no concept of who God is, and no, obviously no desire then to follow him and be obedient to him. But he sees his cupbearer, Nehemiah, be sad. He's downcast. He's got this faith going on. And it says in the scriptures that Nehemiah had to act this way before the king before. And so the pagan king asked him, What's, why are you sad? What, what is wrong? And I, I love the response. Uh, Nehemiah was scared. It's proper response. Why, this king who, yes, had become a, a, maybe a good friend as he's been a servant to him. They, they've got this good relationship. But ultimately can say, hey, you're done and have him killed. Like he had that authority. So there's a fear that went there. And he answers, why shouldn't I be sad when my hometown, the home of my people, is destroyed and burned to the ground? And listen to this. The pagan king asked him, what do you want to do about it? A king that would have no benefit of anything about to happen. But he asked Nehemiah, what's your plan? What are you going to do to resolve the situation that you are brokenhearted, that you have a holy discontent over? And I love this. And it says, so I prayed. His natural response to the question of not knowing what was going on in an act of being scared and afraid and wanting wisdom from God, he stopped and said, God, Give me the words to say. 
This king doesn't know you, but I know you. And I know you're a king of wisdom. You're a king that has a purpose and a plan, and I need to know that clearly now. And God was faithful and gave it to him. And he says, I want to go and rebuild the city of my people. And the king's response was, how long are you going to be gone? And then when Nehemiah answered him, he goes, okay, you can go. Again, something completely unheard of. Why would this king let Nehemiah go? There is, again, no benefit to him for him to go back to his hometown, 800 miles away. Nehemiah is not going to be able to come and go over the weekends. He, he's gone for an extended period of time and not knowing what it is. So this is a huge deal for the king, showing that God's hand was completely in this. And if we need further proof, I love this part. Nehemiah says, hey, one more thing. Thank you for letting me go, uh, but I need you to pay for it. Okay, I don't have any money. I'm the cupbearer. So can you give me letters um, that will let me go to your forest, cut down um, your trees that can help rebuild the walls, rebuild the gates, and my house? Because I need a place to stay when I'm there. And the king says, yeah. Again, further proof that God is working in his life. And it says this in verse 8, or chapter 2, verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. See, when God reveals a plan, he puts a passion and desire, he allows you to experience some type of holy discontent for what's going on, he's going to provide a way. If God is moving you and he's working even in ways that seem completely impossible, God is going to work and provide that for you because it is his plan and his purpose and his will to use you in that. And we see that take place with Nehemiah there. So he arrives in Jerusalem, doesn't let anybody know why he's there. And he goes and at night he inspects all the walls and all the works. He begins to do the preparations. He hasn't seen the damage. He's only been told about it. So when he gets there, he, he prepares for the work that God has given him. The, the task that God has set before him. And he looks and he examines where it's at and what needs to take place. And then he goes to the people because they finally say, hey, why are you here? He goes, let me tell you why I'm here. And this is where he answers in chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And listen to their response. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. See, part of the preparations is that God doesn't desire us to do work alone. God is never going to send you somewhere and say, hey, I want you to do this completely by yourself. No, God desires us to be community. That's why we're the church. That's what he tells us, the hands and the feet. We all have different gifts and different passions, different abilities and skill sets that allows us to be able to come together as one for the greater good of his kingdom, to ultimately glorify him and then bring people to his name. And then we get to chapter 3, and we're, we're going to skip over chapter 3. Um, it's a list of names. It's a list of all the builders, all the workers, and I wish we had time to kind of go through it, uh, but we don't. And often, let's be honest, when we get to a list of names in the Bible during our quiet times, it's usually like, okay, God loves them, move on. Um, but I love the fact that they list every person who helped build this wall. Every person who took part and what their role and responsibility was um, for us to know for all eternity. 
for us to remember what God's doing. What a special blessing for these people and for them. And then chapter 4, we see in verses 1 and 3, that opposition comes. Because when God is moving, when God is working, opposition is going to come your way. God didn't promise us an easy life, an easy path when we're being obedient to him. If anything, he promises the complete opposite. He goes, look at how they treated me. They're going to treat you the same. I receive persecution, so will you. And so we see the opposition that they face, where Nehemiah is publicly mocked and made fun of, of the nobles and the rulers around the area. But what is Nehemiah's response? To pray. When persecution comes, when opposition came his way, his first response is to pray. And he prays for God to deal with them. He prays for God, you take care of them, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And I'm sure what you can do to them is far worse what I could ever do to them and myself. But he doesn't get distracted by being made fun of. He stays focused on the plan and the will that God has for his life. And I want to read chapter 4, verse 6. And this is the one verse that actually just kept on sticking out to my mind when I knew I was going to be preaching on Nehemiah this Sunday. And it says, so we built the wall. All the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. The NIV says, for the people worked with all their heart. See, it took them ultimately 52 days to complete this wall around a city. And just to put this in perspective of how God's hand was on this. In 1535, when Jerusalem was part of the Ottoman Empire, Sultan Solomon I ordered the ruined city walls to be rebuilt. It took them four years. The technology was far more advanced then. Four years to build what Nehemiah and his team did in 52 days. See, God provided a way for them. Because when God is behind you, nothing is impossible. God will give you the strength, the mindset, the ability that is far beyond anything you know how to do. And allow you to work and do things in extraordinary ways. Most of us have experienced times like that. Most of us have experienced times where we've seen God work in ways that we can't possibly imagine. And that's what took place here. But let's, let's not forget, the people who did the work live in Jerusalem. They didn't come back from exile this time. They, they were there. They've grown accustomed to the broken down walls. They've grown accustomed to being able to, to see out and not have any wall blocking their vision from their house. They grew used to, and this is, what they were, this is what they've always known. But they put aside their comfort, the nostalgia of what had taken place for the sake of honoring and glorifying God. And so when we hear the account of Nehemiah, our response is yes and amen. Yes, praise God for the work that God did through Nehemiah. But what does that have to do with us today? We don't have a wall to build. Some of you would disagree, but this isn't a political conversation. So we're not talking about building walls. But God has given us a plan. God has called every Christian believer to do something. And see, he wants us to follow him. And the entire purpose, the desire what God has for us as every follower of Christ can be summed up in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 39. I'll read it to you. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend 
all the law and the prophets. What Jesus is saying that everything that you read in the Old Testament to the scholar, everything you read here can be summed up with these two things. Love God first and then love people. And the way that we love God the most is by loving his people and by telling others about his love for them. We love God the most when we share his love and his compassion with them. And so we know that as followers of Christ, the greatest act of love was Jesus' death on the cross for our behalf. To restore us and bring us back into relationship with him. Why wouldn't we share that with others? Now I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to say, who in here can think of right now somebody they know that they interact with on a daily or regular basis that doesn't know the Lord? They're not a Christian. I, I could instantly think of five people in my life. People I know for a fact that do not know the Lord. Do I love them enough? Better yet said, do I love God enough to love them by sharing his love with them? Do I love him enough? Am I willing to be obedient enough to share his love and have maybe an awkward conversation? To go out of my way to say, hey, let me, let me tell you about something that's great. See, as a church, as a whole, and personally as a follower of Jesus, if we aren't in the business of leading people to the gospel, then we're in the wrong business. If we as First Southern are not in the business, it is not our priority, it is not our focus to share the life-changing hope of Jesus with every generation, then we need to get out of here. We need to say we're done. Because that is a purpose and the call of the church. Now, there may be some people here who feel like I'm stepping on some toes. And there's a saying, I'm sorry but not sorry. Um, if you're feeling some discomfort right now, Maybe anger, maybe frustration, like, why is Josh coming so hard on us? Um, I'm just going to ask you to do this. Maybe God's doing something in your life. Maybe there's some truth. Because i got to be honest, when I went through this passage and I reflect on what God wanted me to preach, you know, a good, every good preacher preaches in a mirror first. Preaches to himself. And I ask the question, Josh, when is the last time that you shared the gospel with your neighbor? Or ever? And that was a hard question to ask myself because I haven't. Greg and Kathy who live right next door, I haven't shared God's love with them. I've done nice things to them. I've had interactions with them. She's told us she loves our family. Um, but I've never stopped and said, hey, can I tell you about the greatest relationship that I have in my life? And I like to say it's my wife, but it's not. It's with Jesus. Can I tell you something, how my life has drastically changed and where I once was, but how God redeemed me and brought me back to him. I haven't had those conversations. And that's a hard, convicting thing to remind myself of. And see, God wants us to love them enough to tell them about Jesus. See, as a dad, I got to see something very cool um, this past Friday. Uh, me and Elijah, it was just the two of us at home. And we were doing some work around the house. And uh, I've, I've always got projects. And so we're there, and I'm cutting some trim, and I'm trying to get him to help me. And my, my eight-year-old boy uh, doesn't really have a desire to work right now. He, he's a little bit lazy. And it, as a dad, it just breaks my heart. It breaks my heart that he doesn't get excited about helping me with projects like I did when I was his age with my dad. 
And then our guy who takes care of our yard, he came and he had his son with him, who was just about the same age as Elijah. And he's there working out in the hot sun, working hard next to his dad. And I said, hey, Elijah, how about you go ask him if he wants a popsicle? And I was just, the whole point, I just want Elijah to see him working. And I was wanting this because it breaks my heart that my son didn't want to work. And I was able to, God blessed me with a great example in that moment to say, hey, if he can do it, so can you, buddy. If he's willing to, see, and, and listen to the conversations that him and his dad are having, the, the bantering back and forth, the laughing um, that they're having, the fun that they're having. We can experience that same thing too if you're here with me. So as a dad, that breaks my heart that my little boy doesn't want to work. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart to see the people in the church that don't want to serve. And we have them. There's a statistic saying that 20% of the people do 80% of the work in the church. That's heartbreaking to hear. And I know many of you serve in so many ways, and, and our church can serve in so many ways, but do we have people here today that don't? But let's take it, the next, let's take it outside of our walls, outside of our church here. It breaks my heart to know that there's some people here who have never shared their faith with someone else. And that could be from fear, just they don't know how. But something's got to change. The call and desire of followers of Christ is to share his love with others. And when we experience this fear and we experience these things and we, we don't have questions, no, Pastor Chad or Pastor Keith, myself, would love to sit down with you. Love to walk you through and say, hey, this is how I do it. This is how I share my faith. Um, there's, here's some other ways and methods you can follow. We'd love to help you out with that. Your Bible study teachers would love to walk you through different ways and methods of what it takes to share your faith with others because it doesn't take much. Tell your story. Tell how God has changed your life and share it with them and ask them if they want to experience the same thing. But when we deal with these hardships and we deal with these difficulties, we've got to go first to prayer. Nehemiah kept on going back to prayer. When he was scared, he prayed. When he needed to know a plan, he prayed. When he was heartbroken, he prayed. When he faced opposition, he prayed. His first and natural response was prayer. And that's got to be our response as well. And we have to have a plan. And here's the best part of it. We already have one. God has already given us a plan. He's already told us what he wants to do. It was the last words that Jesus said on earth. And we know it as the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And this is the best part. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when we share God's love with others, we're not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us is Jesus inside of us. He's there giving us the words to say, allow us to overcome our fears, allow us to overcome any obstacle we have to sharing God's love with those where we live, work, and play. He's with us. What a great reminder that we're not alone doing this and sharing our faith. But as the people of Nehemiah said, how they were able to do the work, they did it with all their heart. And that's the place that we've got to get to with sharing our faith. Are we willing to share our faith with all our heart? Do we as a church, as a person, as an individual, as a family, do we have a mind to work 
Are we willing to share our love for God with others? And then we need preparation. I said I had the five, but the Southern Baptist Convention right now is going through this thing where they, they just ask everyone, who's your one? Think of one person right now who you know that needs to hear about God's love. One person, who's your one? And then start praying for opportunities for God to give you to be able to speak into this person's life. To give you opportunities to say, hey, let me tell you about the greatest decision I've ever made. Let me tell you about how my life was changed because I found hope in Jesus. Who's your one? And then we need people. And that's the church. That's us. If you're sitting here today as a follower of Christ, God has commissioned you. He's commanded you to go and share your love with others. Then it's time for us to get to work. It's time for us to do this with all our heart and have a mind to work. Are you willing to put aside your fears? Are we willing to put aside the difficulties, the fear of opposition? Go to God in prayer and get to work. Will you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your love. Father, I thank you for just the clear reminder that we have to be obedient to you, Father, to, to follow you, Father, and to share your love with others. God, I pray that today, in this moment, that you would reveal people to us that you desire us to share your love with. Father, I pray that you would give us opportunities that could not have happened without your work, without your doing, to be able to share your love with them. Father, I pray that we wouldn't have to go out of our way of our day-to-day life to be able to share your love with others. But Father, where we live and where we work and where we play, give us those opportunities to share that. And Father, allow us to be encouraged in knowing that you are with us always. And Father, that we never have to do this alone. And Lord, let us be encouraged as well that you've given us the church to stir up and to encourage one another in the sharing of our faith. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for the sacrifice that you've made for us. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.